Our vision is to give every baseball player around the world the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, respond to the message, and grow in the relationship with Jesus Christ. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. This is the Training for an Eternal Crown podcast with Full Count Ministries. Alright, let's get into 2 Peter chapter 1. Carter here. And we're going to continue on with Chad Hutton as he jumps over to the second letter penned by Peter. This is the sixth episode of an eight-week series on First and Second Peter. Thanks for joining in this week. I'm excited to turn the page and start this new letter with you all, and I hope you're enjoying the book study on First and Second Peter as well. Hope you're keeping up in it, and keep it up, guys. Hey, encourage somebody by sharing what you've learned. We need to pass this stuff along and help somebody else in their walk with Jesus. Okay, let me pass the mic over to Chad for Second Peter chapter one on the training for an eternal crown podcast. Hey, full count. This is Chad Hutton. Today we are in Second Peter. I hope you uh, had a chance to listen to the podcast for First Peter and uh, those five chapters. But more importantly, I hope you actually got into reading and studying and uh, discussing First Peter. Uh, it's uh, amazing material, and uh, we need to get the Word of God in our minds, in our hearts, love the Lord our God with all of our minds, with all of our, our strength. And I hope you shared some of that with somebody else. We can't just absorb all this information and just uh, let it stay at the cerebral level. We must share in the love and spread the good news. So we're in Second Peter, and most of you know that it was written by Simon Peter. That's actually in the first verse of Second Peter. And uh, he was a fisherman by trade. Most likely his father was a fisherman, his brother was Andrew, also one of the 12 disciples, and they had a fishing business with James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, and they saw Jesus travel, uh, travel around, do some miracles at the wedding at Cana, uh, talk to the woman at the well in Samaria, uh, do a couple of um, uh, sermons in synagogues, and then one day Jesus gets into Peter's boat. And you've probably heard the story. There's a miraculous catch of fish. And uh, Jesus is, is just staring Peter down. And Peter's never seen this amount of fish in his life, most likely. And he's pretty scared. Tells Jesus to go away. Admits he's a sinful man. Confesses that uh, he should not even be near Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Come follow me. You're now going to be fishing for people. Uh, that was pretty exciting. I'm sure Peter never forgot that. But Peter uh, is a brash guy, rough dude, uh, foul mouth. Uh, but he was kind of one of the leaders of the disciples. Uh, he was married, probably a little bit older than some of the others. And uh, he denied Jesus. You know that uh, he denied him three times, wept bitterly. and uh, But Jesus restored him. And said he would be a shepherd. Even prophesied at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 21 that uh, Peter would die for his faith. And uh, we see this is uh, 
one of the last moments of Peter's life because he does mention in the first chapter of 2 Peter that his time is pretty much up. We know that from history, he died in Rome under the hands of Emperor Nero. Now, Nero died in AD 68, so Peter had to have died before that. Many scholars think maybe AD 67. We know from tradition from a, a, a writer named Clement of Alexandria that Peter died by crucifixion upside down. He didn't think it was uh, uh, he could die the same exact way as his Lord Jesus, so he begged to be crucified upside down. We also know that his wife on that same day was executed, and he says to her to remember the Lord as she goes to her execution, which is pretty powerful. And we see actually here in Second Peter that remembrance is very important to Peter. Also, uh, in Second Peter, the word knowledge is mentioned multiple times. It's mentioned in verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, all in chapter 1. Then it's, verse, it's in uh, chapter 2, verse 20, chapter 3, verse 18. And there's actually several other versions of this word knowledge. So knowledge is very important. Understanding is very important. Remembrance is important. In his first epistle, he's really kind of talking about the outside, things from the outside. They were persecuted. They were ostracized. They were suffering for their faith because of the society around them. But now this letter is kind of all about what's going on inside the church, the turmoil from false teachers who are amongst them. This is mentioned in chapter 2 that we'll get to in another podcast. But So he's going from that which that has plagued them from the outside to that which is plaguing them from the inside. And he kind of has a situation in Second Peter where he's saying faith without works is dead because these false teachers, they do not have good works. And it's proving that their faith is dead. And he kind of has his own little fruit of the Spirit list we'll talk about in a minute. And he knows that being devoted to the Lord and loving other people and having intimate relational knowledge of the Lord is so important to have as a Christ follower, but it also combats the lifestyle of the false teachers. Because the false teachers are an obstacle to the growth of the Christ followers that Peter is writing to. And of course, Jesus told that Peter he's going to be a shepherd and here is Peter feeding the sheep like he do. And we see that um, if you're going to have uh, orthopraxy, which is the practice of the faith, it's got to be fueled by orthodoxy, which is doctrine, correct doctrine, correct truth. It fuels orthopraxy. It fuels the practice. So the knowledge of the game is going to shape how you play. If you don't know the fundamentals, if you don't listen to your coach, you're not going to really play well. And when we look at Second Peter, we notice that these false teachers, they were twisting the word of God. They denied the second coming. They disrespect angels and spiritual powers. They despise authority. They live immoral. Now, there are some Greek philosophies that were going on back in the first century that were extreme. One of the philosophies was that the body was separated from the spirit. So you could do whatever you want with your body. You could live immorally because that has nothing to do with your soul. And that's wrong. Actually, the Apostle Paul covered a lot about that in 1 Corinthians. Another opposite extreme is that the body is just completely wicked. So you have to live this 
legalistic, ascetic lifestyle, and you couldn't even do common sense, natural things. So they, there are these extreme teachings, and they were antithetical to having a relationship with Christ and banking your eternal security and your faith on the perfection of Christ and your relationship to him. So what we see here in uh, the third chapter, verse 1, is he mentions this is his second letter. So we know he knows his audience. He doesn't mention his audience in the second letter, and he doesn't mention where he was. In the first uh, letter, he's kind of, he calls, um, he says he's, he's in Babylon, which is Rome. And so he's probably in the same place, but maybe he's being cryptic because he wants to protect the audience. And you see there in uh, verse 1 that he's recognizing that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, but he calls his audience, he says that they have equal standing in Christ. Even though that he's an apostle, he's very humble. And all those in Christ were all on equal ground. That would have been amazing news to the hearers who were probably struggling with uh, whether they were JV after hearing all these false teachers telling them that they really aren't true, authentic believers. But here's Peter, their coach. And he's like, hey, we're all on the same team. So just as in the podcast for First Peter, I'd mention that Jesus Christ is like our manager, player, owner. Peter is also kind of like the manager player. He's kind of like the coach, but he gets out in the field with his players and he says, hey, we're all on the same team. He talks about in verse 2, the knowledge of God, it's obtained by grace and mercy. Therefore, it leads to gratitude, unlike the false teachers have. They don't have very much gratitude. They're very disrespectful. And Christ's power, verse 3, is what makes us godly. It's not by going through a bunch of rituals or knowing some special secret knowledge. It's by having a relationship with Christ. He's called us out of darkness into light to know him forever and ever and ever. That calling us, mentioned in verse 3, harks back to several times he mentioned this in his first letter. He calls them elect exiles in 1 Peter. And he's harking back on that again. When you get to verse 4, you see we are promised to to be preserved in the faith. This is partaking in the divine nature. This is not saying that we're divine. This is saying that we get to have a relationship with the one true uh, God. We are in Christ. Kind of like when a husband takes uh, a wife, the wife takes on his last name. She is named by her husband. Our Our new name is in Christ. Just as Christ is the second Adam, we, the bride of Christ, are the second Eve. And we take on his name in Christ. We take on the divine nature. Not that we are divine, but we're unified with him. And therefore, we're preserved from this crooked, corrupt world. This is, you know, verse 4 is kind of like language of being born again. You know, we, we get to have the Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, and dwell in us. I mean, you can't get closer than God's Spirit being inside of you. So we have this eternal security, and Peter is assuring them that the false teachers can't take that away from us, and and doing a bunch of rituals and having some secret knowledge is not what we bank our faith on. And 
just like he did in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, and over and over in his first epistle where he would set up their identity and their status, and then he would say, now how should we live? He's doing the same exact thing here in 2 Peter verse 5. He's saying because of our identity in Christ, because we're unified in Christ, because his power is within us, that is a reality. How should we live? And he talks about effort. Now he's going to talk about effort in verse 5, verse 10, verse 15. He actually uses the word diligence at some point. And then he he mentions in chapter 3, verse 14, this effort again. This effort is very important for Peter. It's very important for us as Christ followers. There's a difference between effort and earning. You cannot earn your salvation. But once you have it, because Christ gave it to you, you must put forth effort. Once you're on the team, that doesn't mean slack off. You know, in the old kickball days, you get excited when you pick captains on the playground and you get picked on the team as opposed to sitting on the sideline and watching. Well, when you get to be on a baseball team, the coach picks you. Once you're on the team, that doesn't mean you slack off. Just because you get to wear the jersey. In the same way in our Christian faith, Jesus Christ has chosen us. He's called us. We are elect exiles. Therefore, because of that, we should put more effort into following Christ because we're saved by grace. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. And so with this effort, we, we have to grow in our faith advance in our faith, mature in our faith. So he kind of has his own fruit of the spirit list. He talks about growing in our faith in goodness or virtue, which he mentions several times. Goodness is also one of the fruits of the spirit mentioned in Galatians 5. Then he talks about understanding or knowledge. We have to grow in our knowledge of Christ. We can't stay at a minimal level of our understanding of the truth. We must grow deeper and deeper and deeper, dig into the word of God. We must have advance in self-control. Well, for the apostle Peter, the old fisherman that was very impulsive, self-control was important to eventually grow in. If you're just as impulsive years after you become a Christian as you were the day you became a Christian, something's wrong. You must become more uh, full of the spirit, which means you have self-control. You're not impulsive. Impulsive. You must endure in your faith. He mentions the word steadfast. That means that uh, you don't just do whatever you want. If you're persecuted, you don't back down. You, you don't retaliate. You don't, you're not full of vengeance. You pray for those people. That goes along with endurance. He mentions godliness or devotion to God. Are you growing in your devotion to God? Are you more devoted now than you were five years ago, 10 years ago? If you've been a Christian 20 years, you should be more devoted now than you were before. And then this affection for brothers and sisters in Christ. We're born into a family. Do you look out for your brothers and sisters of Christ? If you meet a brother in the Lord from another country, they don't talk like you, they don't look like you, they don't know maybe the culture like you, but do you embrace them because you're going to worship with them for the rest of eternity for billions and billions of years? Do you have brotherly affection? Well, Peter may have been the type of guy that was rough. Maybe he, he was uh, the type of guy that would get in fights. And he, he wasn't very unifying. But in Christ, he has to become unifying. And then finally on his list is love. 
Christ was the strongest, most powerful person on this planet. But there's no other individual that was more full of love than Jesus Christ. So he's talking about maturity in the faith. In verse 8, he says, if... If we grow in these qualities, we will be fruitful. We will be effective. We build off the fundamentals to get to peak level. We must practice, practice, practice our faith. Orthopraxy based on orthodoxy, correct doctrine, correct truth. And once we build on those fundamentals, we will be fruitful. We will be effective. But if you're not like this, if you're not full of goodness and understanding and self-control and endurance and godliness and brotherly affection and love. He desc- Peter describes people that are not like this as blind, immature, childish. They got amnesia of who they are in Christ. That amnesia kind of, that, that they've forgotten who they are in Christ, that builds off what he's going to talk about in a minute in verse 12, remembrance, which builds off knowledge. I once heard it said, or I read in a book recently, that a guy admitted he'd been a Christian for 22 years, but he had not grown in his faith. And he said that he was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. So even though he'd been a Christian for 22 years, he remained an infant in the faith every year for 22 years. We, nobody should ever describe us that way. We should never have to say that about our walk with Christ. You, would, you should be so much more advanced. You, you should not, in, in the spiritual realm, be out on the sandlot with a pickup game of some middle school students. Unless you're coaching them and you're training them, you shouldn't be on their level. You should be past the high school level, past the college level, past the minor leagues, into the major leagues, into the faith, if you've been a Christian for 15, 20 years. Now, if you've only been a Christian for two years, of course, you're still learning. But Peter says you should advance in your faith. Why? Because, verse 10, you will have confirmation of your salvation if you practice your beliefs. If you live for the Lord and grow in your faith, assurance will follow. And then you can go toe-to-toe with the false teachers. You won't, like Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11, 12, and 13, you won't be tossed by every wind of doctrine, staying in an infantile, immature faith, staying childish in the faith. Peter goes on to say, that this in verse 11 is how Christ followers are to live. Remember, Peter died for his faith. Even his wife died for her faith. We've got to get to the point that we're so convinced of Christ, we're willing to die. Well, if you're not willing to die for your faith, you're probably not going to be full of love. You're probably not going to be full of brotherly affection for the saints. You're probably not going to be full of devotion to God or endurance or self-control or knowledge in the faith or goodness. In verse 12, he talks about how he's, he's writing all this to remind them. Remember in the Old Testament, remembrance was an act of worship. That's why God institutes all those holidays, all those rituals. He instructs them, if God did something amazing, to put a bunch of stones out, to put something that reminds them that God did this amazing thing in this area of land in Israel. All the Passover, all of uh, the instituted rituals of the priesthood and the tabernacle and the temple for all of Israel, it was to, to remember, it was acts of worship. Well, Scripture 
we got to bathe our mind and our life in the community of God with Scripture as an act of remembrance. And he's telling them all this to motivate them because he believes he's going to die soon. And we know from tradition that he did. He wants them to remember this after he's long gone. He mentions in verse 16 the word we. He actually says the word we five times in verse 16, 17, and 18 because he's on a team. The disciples, they are the apostles, they were all unified as a team. And he is going to uh, recall the transfiguration that he experienced with James and John where Jesus was transfigured on the mountain. Uh, he didn't make all this up about Jesus coming back. He didn't make it all up. He saw Jesus face to face glorified. He heard Jesus talk about his second coming. He knew that glorifica- glorification of Jesus on the mountain was a precursor to when he was going to come back in his brilliant light. So Peter's like, I didn't make all this stuff up. I saw this with my, my own eyes. Several other apostles saw him. We saw him ascended. We, even the Apostle Paul heard Christ from heaven and was blinded with brilliant light. He's saying all these false teachers, they don't understand all this stuff. We didn't make all this stuff up. So Christ was honored by the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter basically quotes it. He's like, I heard God, the majesty on high, quote, listen to Jesus. Jesus is my blessed son. Peter was willing to die for what he experienced. But he goes on to say what's more important than that experience, if the people hearing this letter didn't believe Peter, what's more important is Scripture, particularly Old Old Testament Scripture, but even New Testament Scripture had already been, some of it had already been established and circulated. He's saying the Scripture, the prophetic word, confirms the second coming of Christ even more than Peter's experience. Scripture is our life that must shine inside of us and then we shine into the world and we must shine into the world and we must put the light of the word of God inside of us until our morning star which is Jesus Christ returns the morning star was the brightest star Jesus is our morning star we reflect his light and the word of God inspired by God is reflected inside of us. And we hold to the scripture, which will combat the false teachers until we await the return of this Christ that Peter was willing to die for. And he goes on to say the famous scripture verses in verse 20 and 21, that no scripture is inspired by man. It's all inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Old Testament, Almost, almost 4,000 times the writers of the Old Testament refer to the writings as the Word of God. And and Peter is even going to say in chapter 3 of his second epistle that, that Paul's letters were the Word of God and to listen to those letters. So obviously the false teachers had tried to discredit even Paul. So they're shaking things up. But Peter wanted to challenge them the false teachers, and motivate these Christ followers that were being waylaid by false teaching. He's saying, embrace scripture, remember your Lord, remember he's worth dying for, remember that um, the scripture is set, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, seek the knowledge of God, seek a relationship with God, and practice your faith. And everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be easy. You're going to suffer, but... 
Jesus Christ is on his throne. He's worth living for. He's worth dying for. We know him by his grace and mercy. He's got us in his hands. My friends, that's an introduction to 2 Peter and a highlight of chapter 1. Hope this is helpful. Keep digging. Keep reading. Sharing the love. Discuss it with somebody else. Carry on in the faith. Thanks for that word, Chad. Thanks for taking us through the first chapter of Second Peter. We all need to grow and get in the big leagues like you talked about. I don't want to stay where I'm at. See you next time on the podcast, folks. I've got two episodes in this series left for you. Keep pressing on in the study, brothers. Eat it all up. Have a great week, and God bless. hope you have enjoyed this episode of the training for an eternal crown podcast you can visit our website for more resources and also find this podcast on all major platforms full count ministries exist to create disciples using the game of baseball we are a non-profit ministry and if you have benefited from this resource we would encourage you to consider donating to the cause to reach every baseball player with the gospel, giving them the opportunity to respond to the gospel and then to grow in the relationship with Jesus. Please like, subscribe, and share this podcast so that you can play a part in accomplishing the mission that God has put on our hearts for baseball players around the globe.